Welcome to Cool Explorations. I am your host, Tony Peters. Today's section is going to be called City of Eternal Glory and Life. It is from the book The Gospel by Mike O'Dowd, and we'll be looking at Revelation 21, verses 22, through Revelation 22, verse 5. In the latter part of the 13th century, the now-renowned Italian explorer Marco Polo set forth on part of what would become a 24-year expedition to China, and the details of his travels have been preserved in his book, The Travels of Marco Polo. Uh, but to his contemporary 13th century Europeans, these details were impossible to believe. Uh, through an amazing set of circumstances, he became a court favorite of the powerful Chinese ruler Kublai Khan, and in China, Marco saw magnificent cities that made European capitals look like roadside villages. Uh, and the architecture was amazing. The Khan's palace dwarfed the largest castles and cathedrals in Europe, and its massive banquet room alone could seat 6,000 diners at one time, each eating on a plate of pure gold. Imagine that, all of us having pure gold plates to eat off of. Marco also saw the world's first paper money, and marveled at the explosive power of gunpowder and witnessed a steel manufacturing capability that would take Europe another 500 years to match. When he arrived home, people dismissed his stories of China as mythical. It was too fantastical in their minds an impossible reality. At his deathbed, his family, friends, and priests begged him to recant his tales of China for the lies they believed they were, but setting his jaw and gasping for breath, Marco spoke his final words, I have not even told you half of what I saw. Do you think John may have been able to say the same thing after writing down what he saw in his vision of the new Jerusalem, how incredible it must have been for him to see, and how unfathomable it is for us to even comprehend life forever devoid of the presence and power of sin. But I pray that we at least believe that it will be wonderful. It may be just as unfathomable for us to comprehend an eternal life where every aspect of it is eternally permeated through and through by God's glory even more so than it was for Marco Polo's contemporaries to believe his descriptions of a glorious Chinese culture which defied their comprehension. What we're attempting to make, uh, to take is, is we're trying to believe this description of the city in Revelation 21 to 22 and that it's going to be the hub and focus of life in eternity and on earth, the new Jerusalem cities embody the fullness of a culture and what we learn and believe and pass on to others the social customs and norms we practice and observe the values that we share our acts of worship and acts of work the diversions we enjoy and much much more now if you can imagine all that and take in all these things experienced through a life resurrected in Christ's sinless likeness and infused by the glory of God in the center of everything where he is. And this is just as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 7. 
in the coming ages might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This will be eternal life lived out with the new Jerusalem as God is centered and it's a God-centered hub and focus of life and culture forever. It's, an, it's a city of eternal glory and of eternal life. And when I say glory, I don't just mean a glorious city. I mean a city that actually possesses the very glory of God, as John indicates in verses 10 to 11 of Revelation 21, when he says, The holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. As we just heard from John's description, the new Jerusalem will be glorious in the form of its coming and in its design. Its glorious design will give its matchless splendor that points directly to God's matchless purpose of redemption and restoration. It will embody the glory of God's salvation. Can you just picture that in your mind? Just close your eyes and if, if you're not driving and picture this. God's glory, the beauty and magnificent glory. Just feel the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere you go. Feel God's glory, his presence everywhere, to be in the, the presence of God, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit at all times. And you can just feel it everywhere. Here on earth, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. We need to be communicating with God through prayer and in his scriptures. And we need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. But in heaven, we won't have to worry about sin. It's gone. In the verses preceding this latter part of Revelation 21, we get a stunning description of the purposeful design of the new Jerusalem, which must be understood in light of the Jewish temple of the old covenant built by Solomon. In that temple, God's presence dwelled within the Holy of Holies, an inner chamber that was a 30-foot cube. And as the author of Hebrews teaches, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Hebrews 9, 7. But it goes on to teach that Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. This securing of eternal redemption so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And that's verses 9 and uh, 12 and 15. Uh, or chapter 9, verses 12 and 15 of Hebrews. Only the high priest entered God's presence once a year in the Old Testament temple into a 30-foot cube and under the fear of judgment. But through Christ's sacrifice and the eternal redemption he secured, we who place our faith and trust in him will receive the promised eternal inheritance. And they were afraid when they went into 
this cube, this presence of God, because they could die if they hadn't, if they were going in there with um, impure motives uh, or an impure heart, and uh, they would tie a rope around the the person's ankle so that they could pull them back if they if they died inside there. So they did have have that fear. Uh, and again, this is an eternal inheritance that we are going to have. Uh, it's an inheritance of eternal life into a creation made completely new. And at the center of that creation is a magnificent cube. God's people can freely enter and freely live in his presence. Not a 30-foot cube, but the new Jerusalem. And this city as indicated in Revelation 21:16, will be as wide as it is long. In fact, its length and width and height heights will each be 1,400 miles. In other words, its city walls will form a boundary that would cover half of the United States, and these walls will rise to the height of 1,400 miles. But it won't be just as big. It won't just be big. It will be stunning, and it will be beautiful. Looking at these verses, we can imagine our approach to the city clearly visible from a tremendous distance. Each of the four city walls will have three gates, and each gate will be made of a single pearl. Can you imagine a pearl that big? It is fantastic. Built into walls of jasper, built upon twelve foundations, adorned with every kind of stunningly beautiful jewel. Uh, as verses 18 and 19 state. And when you enter the city, you'll enter the city and find your way to the main thoroughfare made of pure gold like clear glass. And that's verse 18. A city mind-bogglingly magnificent in size and beauty and also eternally embellished with the glory of God's great work of salvation. The gates marked with the names of the tribes of his people, Israel, through whom the Messiah came, and the foundations marked with the names of Messiah's apostles upon which he built his church. It sounds glorious, but there's so much more. The new Jerusalem will be filled by the glory of God and his salvation. In verses 22 to 26 we read, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will be the nations, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Just so magnificent and amazing to think about. And to think about John trying to describe this, just unable to really describe it in its pure sense because it, words cannot capture its beauty. There is no temple in this city. The city is now a massive holy of holies, and the Father and Son dwelling in there as its temple. As the voice from the throne declared in Revelation 21.3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and it is a dwelling filled with his glory. 
No other source of light will ever be necessary within the city, nor will light be, ever be experienced there, because as John writes in verse 23, the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp, lamp is the Lamb. Notice the purpose of this glory, as noted in verses 23 and 24. The light of the city comes from God's glory, and the nations will walk by its light. Then in the second half of verse 24 and 26, we see that the king of the kings of the earth will bring their glory and the glory and honor of the nations into the city. There's a lot of glory going around in heaven, but it is all emanating from or moving to the same point. God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the light of the world. Back in Revelation 5.9, those around God's throne declare of Jesus, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Those ransomed by Christ are ransomed to God's glory, and they themselves are God's glory, a glory they turn and bring to him freely in his presence into a city whose gates will never be shut. As is noted in verse 25, the new Jerusalem will be an endless parade of kings and nations he has redeemed through Jesus Christ, bearing the glory of so great a salvation into God's presence because there will be nothing in eternity to bear the presence or power of sin through those open gates. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will pass through them, as John indicates in verse 27. But the new Jerusalem will be an eternal city, glorious in more ways than one. It's just so amazing to think about and to, to try and picture it. We, we just can't get a full and clear picture in our own minds of how magnificent it really is going to be. Whereas the glory of God and his great salvation is the dominant theme in describing the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21, the theme now will shift to life in this eternal city in the first part of Revelation 22. Um, but this isn't a life in the sense of how we live it, but rather the reality of what our life truly entails. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve's rebellion led to a life giving away to death. And in Genesis 3, to 24 uh, after sin enters into creation through Adam and Eve, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In Eden, Adam and Eve were not prohibited from taking of the tree of life, but because of their sin God barred their way to eternal life, lest Adam and Eve gain immortality, forever to live apart from a relationship with God, and so be consumed forever by the presence 
and power of sin. If you think about that for a moment, you come to realize that death actually, in one sense, is a gift that saves us from torment of such an immortality. In exchange, God promises that from the moment sin entered into creation, he will deliver us from the consequences of our sin and to save those who trusted him to do so by faith so that they might obtain a better resurrection, as the author of Hebrews writes in 1135. And as we know, God's means of deliverance is Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained that better resurrection and resurrected life. Remember that in verse 6 of chapter 21, God promised, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And in 22, verses 1 to 2, this water is bright as crystal, flowing through a main thoroughfare of pure gold-like transparent glass. And this river of water is life-giving because its fountainhead is the very throne of God and of the Lamb. As we see in verse 1, a perpetual flow of life, sustaining water from God from which we will never be barred access. If Eden was paradise lost, the new Jerusalem is a paradise that is restored with the tree of life once again in the dwelling place of God and humanity. Always in season, bearing a variety of fruit and healing the nations of the redeemed, as we see in verse 22, or in verse 2. That word healing in verse 2 um, is a Greek word um, that I absolutely am not even going to try and pronounce, from which we derive our word therapy, which ought to convey to you, especially those who are hurting both inside and out, the eternity of tender, loving care from our good and compassionate Heavenly Father that awaits those who are Christ's. As John writes in Revelation 21.4, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And from the pain and sorrow of the curse from our failure in Eden, that will be wiped away as well. John writes in 22.3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Life in the New Jerusalem is a picture of life fully restored from the fall. The eternal life God gives to the redeemed community will be perpetually available. It'll sustain the well-being of every believer and cure eternal, uh, eternally every memory, every hurt, and every sorrow wrought upon us by the consequences of sin and our sinful nature. So then, with this everlasting provision of God to heal and sustain us in every way, we will be restored to live as the faithful image bearers of God and Christ that Christ saved us to be. The new Jerusalem will be a city where salvation is fully realized. And at the end of verse 3, after John has described this great eternal life sustaining provision of God, the first act of the redeemed is in light of that provision. His servants will worship him. About half of the modern English translations use worship here, and about half use serve. 
Uh, it's not the verb typically used for worship in the New Testament, but rather it's a verb that closely ties the concept of worship and service. Um, so not serve as in like being slave, like that kind of thing. Uh, it conveys the idea that as God transforms our lives into the likeness of Christ, our right response to this work and to his work in our lives is to serve him. And in serving him in this way, it's an act of worship. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 is a good demonstration of, of this exact thing, uh, where it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We do this now, yet we're hindered by sin. But we will meaningfully serve him in eternity, completely unhindered. Every act, activity, and work, everything, will have a redeemed quality to be carried out in his presence as his people who are his prized possession. For John says, the redeemed will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In verse 4, is where he says that. And in Revelation 3.12, Jesus promises the church at Philadelphia, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Remember, there is no temple in the city. The Lord God Almighty, uh, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. We are His. We will bear His name. And He told us that the faithful among Israel who keep His covenant in Exodus 19, verse 5, we are His treasured possession, who will serve Him as a kingdom of priests always in the joy of his delighted presence, never to walk in darkness again. As John says in verse 5, the Father and Son will reign over all of creation, restored forever new, and we will meaningfully serve them. How meaningfully? Well, how vast and majestic will a fully restored creation under the reign of God be? And speaking of God's redeemed servants, John closes this passage by saying, they will reign forever and ever. So we can try and wrap our minds around that. Uh, but the only, but it's only tightly enough to fill you with the joy, excitement, and hope of his life forever, where God is making all things new. And as Paul says in Romans 5 verse 5, this is a hope that does not disappoint. It's a hope that we, we have been promised, and God never fails in any of his promises. We have to remember that. He never fails to complete a promise. He always maintains that truth and that faith, uh, or gives us that faith. It's interesting that Paul describes this disappointment-proof hope in Romans 5 as one that, that comes by uh, persevering, in Christ-like character throughout times of struggle. And we, 
people often are like, oh, why do I go through these struggles? Why am I allowed to go through these struggles? Well, we go through them so that we can grow and we can develop in Christ and our faith can be strengthened through that. Uh, without those struggles, our faith would be shallow. Uh, it's equally interesting that God will remove from us the kind of hurt that mourning, crying, and pain over the reality of death represents. Uh, researcher and neuroscientist Matt Lieberman conducted a study to determine the body's reaction to the pain of social rejection and discovered that the brain processes this type of emotional and soul-wrenching pain a lot like physical pain. He says, a broken heart can feel like a broken leg. Now, we've all been physically hurt uh, quite a bit in our lives, uh, whether that's emotional or, or something actually physical um, or psychological. There's a lot of different ways we can be hurt. And apart from when an ache or pain reminds us of one of these hurts that we've experienced, uh, we don't feel the nagging memory of these things. Uh, now, in terms of mental stuff, there is definitely nagging memories, but it's not at all times that it's there, and, and there is a way to be healed and be redeemed through Christ and that forgiveness we can find in those times. And the kind of hurt that comes from great loss, betrayal, or rejection, and such, leaves the kind of scars that pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit. Uh, with a hurt that can cause these very depths of those who are uh, within it to shudder like no physical pain can. Mental and psychological pain can be so much worse than the physical pain. And many are reading this uh, have this kind of hurt. Uh, many of us who are listening um, feel that, that kind of thing. Uh, no matter what you're listening on or watching, um, you can feel that that hurt and you can relate to it and not unlike the psalmist who said oh my god I cry by day but you do not answer and by night but I have no rest Psalm 22 2 but that same psalmist would go on to say the afflicted will eat and be satisfied those who seek him will praise the Lord let your heart live forever and for those of you who are hurting in this way, uh, let John's vision of eternity lift your hope. Let it give you that healing that you need, help you to process your hurt and find forgiveness. Uh, for forgiveness is a way to really bring healing to your heart. It, it's not something you do for the other person, it's something you are doing for yourself, is forgiving them. And God knows your hurt and he'll pour out his healing grace and love upon you. Uh, turn to prayer with, with these things and read your Bible to get guidance. Um, or feel free to talk to a Christian counselor. They're very, very helpful. Um, pastors are also very helpful. Uh, and we will likely bear some kind of deep hurt of soul or spirit um, within the rest of our days. Uh, but God says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and i pray that for each of you listening that this blessing uh, of his eternal comfort and good hope will find you and that it'll be sufficient because god is marvelous grace 
Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. You've just heard me talking about the city of eternal glory and life, as taken from the book The Gospel by Mike O'Dowd. And we were looking at chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, particularly Revelation 21, verse 22 through 22, verse 5. If you'd like to support me at all, you can do so by checking out Cool Explorations on Patreon, as well as taking a look at uh, subscribing on Spotify, and you can do a paid subscription or a free subscription. That's up to you. Uh, and uh, you could also email me at tpeters745 at gmail.com. <laughs>